0: Hi again everybody, I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The, we're still having fun, and you're still the one, edition, as I talk to punter Kevin Huber as he looks to return for a 14th season and break the franchise record for most games played. Plus, we'll hear why new tight end Hayden Hurst is so excited to be in Cincinnati, and then... Something a little different with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, as we compare our Mount Rushmores in a wide variety of categories. I'll explain later in the pod. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free to play next level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing, wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since Fenway Park. The Reds opened a two-game series at Fenway on Tuesday, and seeing the ballpark on TV reminded me of why it's one of my favorite places on Earth. You never forget your first time at a place like that, right? My first trip to Fenway was on a high school band trip when I was in ninth grade. Growing up a sports fanatic near Buffalo, New York, I couldn't wait to see the Green Monster in person. Our entire high school band was scheduled to attend a game against the White Sox on a Friday night. Unfortunately, it got rained out. I was devastated, but I somehow convinced our high school band director, Mr. Papalardo to allow me and my buddy Matt Moretti to skip the group activity on Boston's Historic Freedom Trail the following day and go to Fenway on our own for the makeup doubleheader. I was 14 years old. Parental supervision was apparently a little less strict back then. Thus, two ninth graders were allowed to leave their group on an out-of-town band trip to attend a Major League Baseball game in a city they had never been to before. Mr. Pappalardo probably would have been reprimanded for insufficient chaperoning in this day and age, but we hopped in a cab and headed to Fenway. From what I've read, Roger Clemens and I apparently had the same experience when we saw Fenway Park for the first time. We both climbed out of a taxi in front of a short brick building that blended into the surrounding neighborhood and said, where's Fenway Park? In my case, the cabbie pointed out the light towers as proof that he had taken us to the right location. I've been to Fenway dozens of times since and have the same sense of awe and wonder every time I walk through those gates. I've even had the thrill of broadcasting games from Fenway Park. The broadcast booth, high above home plate, is not a great place to see the action. Imagine trying to describe a baseball game from the space shuttle but it's still magical. You have a magnificent view of the green monster, the sitgo sign, the pesky pole, the skyline of Boston, and that perfectly manicured grass field. So here's a Dan Hoard hot take. Fenway Park is easily the best ballpark in Major League Baseball. And for those of you who say, what about Wrigley Field? I've been to both and it's not even close. Now, let's get to football. It's been nearly a month since Kevin Huber signed a one-year contract extension as he looks to extend his career to a 14th season. Ken Anderson, Ken Riley, and Reggie Williams are the only players to spend at least 14 years in Cincinnati. And in the final game of last season, Huber tied Riley for most regular season games played in a Bengals uniform with 207. Before I get to my conversation with Kevin, here's a quick warning, that there's about a two-minute stretch where I get some interference on my microphone. It's not terrible, you can still hear and understand Kevin, but I just wanted to let you know in advance that the noise goes away after a couple of questions. Now, let's hear from the Cincinnati native who holds the top spot in every Bengals career punting category. So I'm watching a replay of the Super Bowl the other day. And I see the uh, opening coin toss, and you're one of the four captains out there. I think technically you're the guy that, that deferred yes. after the uh, the Rams lost the toss. But what was that moment like to be one of those four guys standing out there as a Super Bowl is about to kick off?
1: Um, you know, it was pretty special. And you know, at first you kind of you, know, you you figure out who who's going the out there to do the coin toss. It's like a normal game. Then it's like you you start you know looking around and um taking the moment and realizing like what you're actually going out there for and um it was just a lot of fun to just to be out there with the guys and um just you know after you know being here for so long um just to be a part of that was pretty special
0: you seem to take tremendous pride in the fact that you're a cincinnati guy and you were on a cincinnati team that made it at least that's the way it felt going up to the super bowl was that the case
1: oh definitely was um you know there's definitely a, a different uh different perspective but I feel like that I was able to have compared to a lot of other guys on the team just from being here my, whole, my entire life, um, you know, seeing the ups and downs over the years when I was growing up and to be a part of it, um, to have my entire family here, all my friends here um, it was definitely, a, I think uh, I definitely took a lot of pride in that and um, it's something I'll, I'll definitely never forget and uh, you know, hopefully I'll get another chance at that before I'm done
0: Who was there? What friends and family members made the trip?
1: Uh, shoo, my entire immediate family um, all my siblings, uh, most of the kids, most of my, my nieces and nephews, um, uh, my wife was out there. I had, uh, several, several buddies that came out that ma- made the trip out. Um, some flew in and out the same day. Um, say so did as much, whatever they could to get out there. Um, so I think all told probably, you know, probably 20, 30 people that I, at least that I knew and several others that just came out just you know, because So there's quite a few people out there.
0: How long did it hurt?
1: I mean, I don't think that will ever stop hurting because you know we, you feel how close you were, um, and uh, you know it's just something that uh, I, I think, I think, for the team gives a tremendous advantage going into next season because um, we have so many guys that are young and they, that um, they're hungry and they, and they want that again. They want that feeling again. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's always going to hurt and always going to be like, you know, what if, but. I think it's going to be a a huge uh, catalyst for us to, you know, get back there this year.
0: So there was a team party after the Super Bowl at Pauley Pavilion. I can only imagine how awesome it would have been had the outcome been different, but it was still very nice, a celebration of the season. And at one point, you and several of your teammates are up on the stage with Kid Cuddy. And it occurred to me, watching from the audience, that you're young. I mean, in football terms, you're referred to as like, oh, he's 36, he's going to be 37. In real life, you're a young man. Does this game and being around these guys keep you feeling young?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think uh, me and Clark joked about it last year when, when we drafted Evan, and it's me and Clark at 36, 37, and Evan at, like, 21, just getting his, you know, being able to, to go buy, buy alcohol for the first time. Um, so, yeah, definitely the, the youth of the team and the youth of Evan, and um, it, it definitely keeps you young. It keeps you um, slightly immature, I, I would <laughs> say, but uh, in a good way. Um, you know, so I, I think, uh, it it definitely keeps you going and, you know, you got guys that, that aren't looking at the end of their career. They're looking at the beginning and wanting to grow and you're, you're right there with them, just helping them along the way. And it's, it's definitely a fun, fun part of it.
0: We're chatting with Kevin Huber. So Evan McPherson had these dramatic game winning kicks in the postseason, 52 yards at Tennessee, end of the game at Kansas City. And obviously you're the guy holding. How nerve wracking is it for the holder in those situations?
1: Um... I'd say for a young holder, it's probably more so, but I, you know, I've done it long enough and, you know, we've had some game winners along the way in my career. Um, but it's with, with, being with Clark so long, it's, it's definitely like, you know, tying your shoes. It's, it's just something that you don't really think about, uh, which in those moments I think is a huge benefit because you're not really thinking about the moment. You're just thinking about get the ball down. So Evan can do his work. Um, so it's, you kind of, in a way you almost like shut everything off and you just kind of just, just things just happen. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's not too nerve wracking. Um, I would say, um, when it comes to that, just because of the experience and, um, the amount of reps that being Clark got together.
0: The day that you re-signed, I had a speaking engagement with some Bengals fans and I said, well, good news. Kevin Huber has re-signed as the Bengals holder. Now that they've improved the offensive line, they're not going to be punting this year anyway, uh, which got a good laugh, but is holding of the job 40% of the job how do you think of it
1: um you know comparatively you know I've had two coaches I had you know coach Lewis and 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 coach Taylor um I think under coach Lewis when we were a a huge defensive-minded team I I think uh punting um was probably more important because we did a lot of a lot of uh we harped a lot on you know winning the field position battle um you know winning games division games you know Nine to six, where it's a couple field goals. Um, Where there's not a lot of scoring, but it's just you just keep pinning them back and force them to bad situations. Um, But now with with Coach Taylor and you know, it's offense and let's see how many points you can score. And then add an Evan whose range is something that we've never had before. You know, we just got to get across midfield. So I I think the holding aspect is definitely probably tipped more um, on the the 60% side. Um, And then the, the punting part is just get good hits and get yourself in the best um, best situation for that particular punt and just, just kind of just don't screw up. But I think holding is definitely the, the, the biggest um, part of my job right now.
0: So you re-signed right after the draft. And I think many of us assumed, well, the Bengals are waiting to see what happens in the draft. And it's, it turned out you were the one that was waiting, correct? There was an offer on the table, but you wanted to see what transpired?
1: Yeah, we had communications back and forth. Um, you know, leading after the draft probably for like a month or so. Um, but I, you know, knowing, uh, you know, just talking to my agent, knowing that there were uh, was more of a punt heavy um, incoming class um, than normal. Um, and, you know, I'm not dumb. I'm not going to be a punter for the next 60 years. It's it's going to happen where at some point I'm not the punter. Um, and knowing that there was, you know, more punters and, you know, the opportunity for them to get one, um, you know, I, I wanted to see, I wanted to sit back and see what, uh, what transpired in draft and um, just because I, if they drafted one, i totally get it. That's, you know, it's, um, it's just part of the job that we live in. And, um, so yeah, I, I wanted to see what was going on. Um, and um, cause I feel like if, if they draft someone, because when I got drafted, they cut the other guys on the team. So um, I didn't want to put myself in a situation where I would be almost trapped if they drafted someone that they were going
0: to make the part so drew chrisman is here he was on the practice squad off and on for much of last year so they must have seen something in him they liked is this training camp battle any different from anyone that you've been through in the past considering that you will be 37 when the season begins
1: well considering that i don't think i've really ever had a quote-unquote training camp battle we've had some guys in but they're more combo guys that were more or less taking some reps off the kickers and helping out with kickoffs and stuff like that um so yeah i think this is going to be definitely different um and you know i got my work cut out for me I, i i'm definitely getting older quote unquote in terms of football years but um you know drew does a good job he's got he's got a big leg and hits a really nice ball um but i know that if i just do what i can do and you know just stick to you know not try to you know outkick him, just do my job and be consistent and put the ball where it needs to be put. And then, you know, the holding part, I, I feel, you know, very confident. And so as long as I do what I'm going to do, I, I should be fine.
0: This is audio, not video. But when you said, I'm getting older, you did air quotes when you said the word older. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I
1: don't feel like I'm very old. But I, I know it's viewed in the football world as uh, 36 is like, oh, my gosh, he's he's done. He's old. he's. Um, but I, I don't feel like that. I feel like I'm, uh, you know. I feel like I'm hitting just as well now as I did five, six years ago. So um, I don't think the age is an issue um, for me as far as losing leg strength. Um, so yeah, age is just a age is just a number.
0: You're tied with Ken Riley for career games played in a Bengals uniform. That's a regular season record. Is being alone on the top of that mountain a big deal to you?
1: Definitely. I think that'd be a, a pretty awesome um, you know record to hold. And uh, at the same time, I can't let Clark have that instead of me. So uh, I need to make sure I make the team and uh, get that record and keep Clark off the list.
0: Really appreciate your time. Best of luck this season.
1: Thanks so much. I appreciate it.
0: All right, here's a trivia question for you the next time you're hanging out with a Bengals fan. Who was the last person to punt for the Bengals other than Kevin Huber? The answer, Romanian-born Zoltan Mesco. Who punted in the playoff loss to the Chargers in January of 2014 when Huber was out with a broken jaw. We turn from the longest-tenured Bengal in Kevin Huber to a newcomer, tight end Hayden Hurst, who spent two years in Baltimore and two years in Atlanta before signing a one-year free agent deal with the Bengals to replace C.J. Uzama. He spoke with reporters in front of his locker on Tuesday.
2: Yeah, it's just awesome being around, you know, an organization like this that was in the Super Bowl last year because they've set a standard, you know, and it's fun coming in as the new guy. I get to kind of reinvent myself and live up to that standard. So it's been fun.
0: Who has helped you the most with feeling like you're, you're a Bengal, like you've earned your stripes?
2: Really, everybody on the offense is pretty helpful. Um, you know, James is an awesome tight end coach. And it's nice having a guy like that in our room. Just uh, level headed and helps me, you know, maintain focus and stuff like that, and just learning the playbook and things. Um, Joe's been awesome. Brandon's been awesome, helped me learn stuff too. Drew, um, Mitch. So everybody's really, you know, welcomed me with open arms. It's been nice. How
0: does this phase help you and Joe develop a rapport and knowing each other?
2: Oh, it's, incre- it's incredibly helpful. Uh, just like today, we're going over stuff, just how he wants things to run. Um, and I went up and told him, I said, hey, I'm all ears. You know, whatever you need me to do, that's what I'm here to do. Um, he's the real deal. You know, He captains the ship, and you know, like, like I said, whatever coverage he sees, you know, he's checking his, into certain things. So, As a professional, it just helps me be on my P's and Q's because I know I got to know the ins and outs of that playbook. The more that I know and the more that I can do, the more I'll just be uh, you know, available and be able to be on the field. Um, you know, I, I just, this is my fifth year and my fifth offense that I've had to learn, so it's, it's fun, but you know, it's nothing new to me. Just got to go in and study and, and learn the stuff.
0: When you signed, it seemed like the opportunity slash need at the position really excited you. Yeah. Now that you're here and you see the guys, has that been reinforced even more?
2: Oh, it's a great group. You know, I, I've, been in, I've been lucky and blessed to be in some pretty good groups in the NFL. Uh, these guys are awesome. Like I said, it's kind of all hands on deck right now, helping me learn this stuff. Um, I'm just excited to get in there and play with those guys. There's a lot of good athletes in our room, a lot of smart guys. So it, it's a good group to be around. Five offenses in five years. Well, what's the hardest part about that? Just getting the rapport with the quarterback. And I think that's what I told Joe today. I said, hey, man, you know, I, I know I do some things well, but I don't have this all figured out. So whatever you need, whatever whatever you want, you know, that's, that's what I'm here to do. That's why they signed me. Um, whatever I can do to help this team, help Joe, that's what I'm here to do this year. Watching
0: you practice, it seems like you really get up the field quickly. It's noticeable for a guy your size. Has anybody pointed that out or said, whoa? I think this staff um, finally understands what I'm capable
2: of. It's taken five years, unfortunately, but... And you know, everything happens for a reason. I think God put me here in Cincinnati for a reason. Um, like I said, you know, I'm just going to do my job, buckle down, learn this playbook, and just work my ass off. That's all
0: I can do. And you did a lot of research about, you know, what where you wanted to sign and why. How is it matched up with your experience now that you're in it? I made the right choice. Uh,
2: just, I mean, I think we all know what Nine's capable of. I mean, he, he's incredible. I mean, he's a professional, and like I said. It was good for me being in Atlanta because Matt was that way. You know, he's a professional. You knew what he was going to have every single day, so it really raised the standard of what you had to do, your knowledge of the game, your knowledge of the playbook. Um, I love it, you know, because like I said, there's an expectation, and you know, I have to live up live up to it. So it's fun. Is that professionalism between the two of those guys what really stands out as the big similarity? 100%. Um, some guys aren't like that. Some guys are. You know, he's he's about. He's about his business. You know, he's not really – when he's in the building, he's not screwing around. You know, he he knows what he has to do, and he expects you to know what you need to do too. So just watching him on the field from afar, you know, not even being in the same huddle, you know what he's about. And um, when you're in the same huddle and you hear him and his confidence and what he expects, it just –
0: it reinforces
2: that. It's pretty awesome.
0: Do you think people around the league have any idea what you're capable of? No.
2: (laughs) And I can't wait. It's going to be very fun. Like I said, I'm – you know, I'm not – throwing jabs anywhere, but for whatever reason it kind of d- hasn't clicked yet in an offense with me and an offensive coordinator and um, you just have to have somebody fall in love with you and it hasn't happened for me yet and um, like I said, I think I've kind of found home You get to play both of your former teams <laughs> That smile has already come to your face. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that 100%. Um, I'm already a self-motivated guy There's not really you know, outside stuff that drives me a whole lot, but um, if there's any more fuel to my fire that I needed
0: I definitely have it I was a minor league baseball announcer for several years, so we have minor league baseball in common. How did that experience, and I know it it was tough for you, how did that shape you and and help you reach the point you've reached? It's made me a hell of a resilient
2: athlete. um, Because in high school, I just showed up and I was better than everybody. You know, I was like, I don't have to work hard, I don't have to do this. And then I get into pro baseball and I get my ass kicked a little bit. And um, I was able to kind of, you know, go back to who I am and work myself out of it and get to the NFL, but it's just. I'm pretty resilient, you know. You know, when I get kicked, you know, I, I I scratch and claw back. You know, there's not a whole lot of people that can keep me down. I'm gonna try to scratch and claw my way to the top, and you know, luckily I was given this opportunity and I'm sure as hell gonna scratch and claw.
0: If you're not familiar with Hayden Hurst's pro baseball career, he was a highly touted pitching prospect in the Pirates organization with a 95 mile an hour fastball when he came down with a yips, much like former big leaguer Steve Blass and Rick Ankeel where he completely lost the ability to throw strikes. It was even hard for him to play catch. So he quit baseball, walked onto the football team at South Carolina, and eventually became a first-round draft pick by the Ravens. Here's an invitation to grab your yoga mat and join Who Day on Saturday, June 25th at 9 a.m. for Namaste Yoga on the field at Paul Brown Stadium. Register now at Bengals.com yoga. It's presented by Cottonelle in partnership with Kroger and Title Babe Period Supply Bank. Finally, time for something a little different with Dave Lapham. You're probably familiar with the concept of sports Mount Rushmores, basically the top four in any given category. For example, the Mount Rushmores of NFL quarterbacks might be Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, and Johnny Unitas. Well, this week, Lap and I decided to go mountain climbing. All right, Lap, we are going to cover a wide variety of Bengals-related Mount Rushmores. <laughs> These are the top four things in any given category. Let's start with a really obvious one. Basically, the Mount Rushmore of Bengals. These are the four most impactful individuals in franchise history. Who is on your Mount Rushmore of Bengals?
3: I I think the fans did a good job with the uh, Ring of Honor. You know, I mean, I think all four of those uh, people that were selected for the Ring of Honor, huge impacts. Obviously, Paul Brown, not just on the Cincinnati Bengals, founded the franchise, but in National Football League in general. Um, When you think about inventing the face mask, uh, team meetings during the course of the week, Uh, going and staying at a hotel even for home games, you know, to stay together as a group and and meet as a group before the game. I mean, he he had so many innovations way back that to this day are part of uh, the normal, you know, day-to-day, week-to-week occurrences in the National Football League. And a guy like Bill Belichick always talks about this is the way Paul Brown did it, and it's still happening in the year, you know, in the decade of 2020, I mean, it, it, that's crazy when you think about it. So I'd have to say he may be one of the most impactful people in the National Football League in general in the history of the league. So he's uh, he's obviously you know a, a huge factor there. Um, Ken Anderson called the most important player in franchise history by Mike Brown. Agreed. Mm-hmm you know and and that that speaks volumes so huge impact on the uh on the organization for a guy to come out of uh, tiny Augustana <laughs> in the third round I think he's like 64th pick of the draft or whatever it was uh to play like he played for as long as he played um and and the way he played and the type of person you know that he, that he was for all those years as a leader and um, on and off the football field for the organization. Huge impact on, on what happened with the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, you know, <laughs> Boomer Esiason has made a massive impact, not, not yet in the Ring of Honor, but a, a strong candidate to be there very, very quickly. But his impact was incredible. Um, I, I think from a just one guy rallying other guys' standpoint, he's as good as I've ever seen. Everybody just gravitated to that guy. He just had the it factor, capital I, capital T. You know, he he was dripping in it, whatever <laughs> it is. <laughs> Hard to de- define, describe it, but he had it. <laughs> there's there's no question. Um, you know, so very, very, very impactful guy there. Uh, and, and um, you know, it, obviously you can go through all the Super Bowl quarterbacks. Joe Burrow, look at the impact he's having on this franchise right now, man. I mean, at Super Bowl 56, it's only the beginning. He's just he's in the infancy stages and uh his impact was felt on just about every level of the organization any way that it can be felt. He's uh he's a football savant and he he has the it factor as well that that very intangible thing that it's hard to hard to put your arms around, hard to define hard to, hard to grasp but you know when guys have it and when they don't and when you have it, you don't want to lose it whatever it is mm-hmm.
0: You got Munoz on there, right?
3: Absolutely, yeah. I mean Anthony Munoz is uh, you know, the impact that he had on on the organization is just, you know, absolutely mind-boggling uh, He and Max Montoya, the Mexican connection was the, the the common thread between the, the Super Bowls, really. Um, there were other players that played in both Super Bowls. But up front, those guys set the standards, set the tempo, uh, set everything, um, and huge impact. And, and obviously, Anthony Munoz may be the best human being I've ever known. So uh, in terms of on the field, off the field, he is uh, <laughs> hes the epitome of greatness. Um, GOAT is an understatement, I think. For what Anthony Munoz brought to the franchise brought to the city um it's it's just you know pretty very impressive to say the least and and Kenny Riley, was another guy, played sixteen years in the National Football League at the level that he played at um and his, his he may have been as quiet and as um, non Hey, look at me! Look at me, leader I've ever seen in my life. This guy, man, just led by how he lived his life, led by example, led by what he was doing. He he wasn't a real vocal guy. He was one of those guys that showed you. You know, here's here's how it's supposed to be done. Here's how you go about it. Here's what you do. Here's what you stay away from. Here's what you don't do. He was he was unbelievable. Not just for defensive backs, but for everybody. Um, just look at Kenny Riley and get a great example of how to prepare in the classroom, how to practice, how to take care of yourself, all the things you need to do to be a pro on top
0: of being a phenomenal human being himself. All right. Can only have four heads. Right. So the Lapham Bengals Mount Rushmore as of now, because, you know, Joe Burrow obviously could change things very soon, but Brown Brown, Munoz Anderson and Boomer is that if you've got to pick the fourth it's Boomer I'd
3: probably yeah I'd probably do that the two quarterbacks you know just by the nature of the position um and and what they when they when it works out when it's successful what they've done (laughs) to make it that way it's almost like uh (laughs) when you have a special quarterback you're gonna have special results yeah No, no doubt
0: all right, the Dan Hoard, Bengals, Mount Rushmore. I think the th- first three are no-brainers. I think Paul Brown, Anthony Munoz, Ken Anderson. Are, those heads are definitely carved in that granite. My fourth, I give strong consideration to you, honestly, playing career and broadcasting career. You're probably my fifth head right now. <laughs> but my fourth, believe it or not, is Chad Johnson. Huh for kind of cultural impact. I mean, obviously a great career, 10 years with the Bengals, six-time Pro Bowler, still the all-time leader in franchise history in catches and yards, but he made Cincinnati cool. He was charismatic. You know, it's interesting now, how often when we ask these newcomers, what did you know about the Bengals as a kid or whatever, what are your memories of the Bengals growing up? They always say, oh, I love Chad Johnson. Chad Johnson was my guy. So. For now, Chad gets my fourth head on my Bengals Mount Rushmore, knowing that Joe Burrow, if he keeps this up, could and probably, hopefully will be eventually the fourth head. But at the moment, I've got Chad Johnson slash Ocho Cinco's handsome face up on that Mount Rushmore.
3: Can't argue. I mean, that's that's obviously a, a huge, uh, huge image and persona in, in <laughs> Bengals history. There's no question about it. I guess I'm old school in that, um, you know, Paul – was part of championships in Cleveland and championships in Cincinnati and Kenny Anderson Boomer they were part of championships not winning the Super Bowl but AFC championships and Anthony as well so that 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 was a that's a factor in my uh, in my decision making there Uh, and Chad wasn't not due to Chad's performance but just didn't work out for uh, him during his career for the football team and a lot of people thought that it could have and should have. And they had they had the, the goods to get it done, but it just didn't didn't work out. But a very very worthy Mount Rushmore pick.
0: All right, we move on to another category: our Mount Rushmore of Bengals plays. These are individual plays in franchise history that we were, are carving into that granite. What are your Mount Rushmore Bengals plays? I'll never forget as a rookie in October sixth. Of
3: 1974, my rookie year, Lamar Parrish, jaw-dropping. <laughs> We're playing the Washington Redskins at Riverfront Stadium. We end up beating them 28-17. And uh, Lamar Parrish scored two touchdowns, one on special teams, a 90-yard punt return, which bedazzled me and everybody in the stadium. And then force fumble, he picks it up and returns it 47 yards, another dazzling couple moves. Uh, for another touchdown. So he scores two non-conventional scores by the same individual in the the other two phases of football, besides offense, defense, and special teams. I'm like, oh my God, this dude is unbelievable. And that that left a huge impression on me watching Lamar Parrish early in my rookie year. Just, I mean, I was dumbfounded by the guy's physical presence and his ability. Um, You know, another one was uh, Kenny Riley, had a pick six against the Cleveland Browns that won the game late. We we're, you know, tie, tie football game, late in the game, 1983, my last year with the Bengals. I guess that's why it has an impression on me as well as my final year with the Bengals. Uh, and, and, and Rattler, who, like I said, I, I idolized Kenny Riley. I mean, he was, he was like, if there's pillars of the franchise and, and people that, you know, you want to try to emulate, how they lived their life and played the game of football. Kenny Riley was one of the ones that I had definitely as a, as a foundational building block. And um, he had that interception off Brian side, took it to the house, beat the hated Cleveland Browns. <laughs> I mean, I remember, uh, I remember that play uh, extremely vividly. Um, another one that comes to mind, Corey Dillon, uh, a 41-yard touchdown to break Walter Payton's Uh, 275 yards, uh, single rushing record, got got Corey 278. It happened on that 41-yard touchdown against the Denver Broncos. And the Bengals, I don't think they'd won a game up until that matchup against Denver. They were like 0-6 or something like that, I think. And I remember being down on the field before the game, and John Tierlink, their defensive line coach, was out there, and Corey came running by (laughs) And really, you could feel the earth move. Corey Dillon was one of those guys where you could just you could just feel it. You could just feel it happening. Um, and uh, so <laughs> John Tierling's like, his players are just a little bit away from him warming up. And he was talking to a couple of other coaches. And Corey runs by. And I was standing a little bit away from everybody watching. He's like, looks at Corey, <laughs> looks at him again. He goes, all right, boys, let's go. we got to get ready to play. And he's like, he could, he could not believe the the force, the power that he felt when Corey Dillon came thundering by him uh, down, on the, down on the football field. And I, and I remember feeling that exact same thing. And I remember talking to Dick LeBeau about that. And he said, Jimmy Brown, our, our Syracuse guy, he said that you could feel the earth move when, uh, when Jimmy Brown ran the football. So I guess those are the four plays that kind of stick to my mind. Um, and two of them are, are Lamar parish in the same game mm-hmm. obviously, but uh, that 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 game was like th- at that point, I realized these guys are good <laughs> I mean this is another level to watch to watch that and uh I remember the two old quarterbacks, scraggly quarterbacks, Billy Kilmer, Sonny Jurgensen, you know it's like and I'm a snot nosed twenty <laughs> three year old twenty three year old kid just taking it all in i mean, I can remember everything about that. That game um, because of the excellence of Lamar
0: Parrish. All right, so this is good because my Mount Rushmore of Bengals plays four different plays mm-hmm. two for like impact uh-huh. and two for just how spectacular the individual plays were. So the individual spectacular ones number one, Jerome Simpson,
3: oh, flying uh,
0: somersault. Yeah. Uh, in 2011, as you nailed it, you know, at the moment on the broadcast, the Russian judge gives him a 10 <laughs> for the forward Somersault. So that was awesome. Second one. Giovanni Bernard's Halloween touchdown Thursday night run against Miami. It was 35 yards technically, but on SportsCenter later that night, they measured it 101.9 yards because he went sideline to sideline. He went backward. He went forward. It was a 35-yard run that lasted 16 seconds. Typically, a 35-yard run lasts about seven seconds. Mm -hmm. So just an incredible individual play by Giovanni Bernard. Then for impact... Stanford Jennings, kickoff return, touchdown in Super Bowl twenty three. It gave the Bengals a Super Bowl lead for the first time ever. 93 Uh, yards. 93 yards, one of the great kick returns in uh, pro football history. And then my final one, very recent, Jermaine Pratt's clinching interception against the Raiders in the playoffs last year. 31 years of playoff frustration over biggest crowd in Paul Brown Stadium history. That feeling of, you know, catharsis was awesome. Uh, So... And that, that right now is at the top of my list for Bengal's Mount Rushmore plays.
3: Yeah, I mean that, uh, all, all huge plays. Um, it's, it's funny, though. I mean, I, all of those plays uh, impactful through the broadcast part of it, and you know experience. but I'll tell you, there's something about being involved you know on the field in the game when a guy does something that's like, "What?" It just man, it, it just puts a sledgehammer imprint on your mind, you know. It really does all fortunately um over the 50 plus years the Bengals have had a lot of a lot of big plays as you would expect um offense defense and special teams no doubt
0: all right next category are Mount Rushmore of most painful Bengals moments unfortunately <laughs> there have been a few but what is your Mount Rushmore in that category
3: okay well I'll have to go to the the two uh, two Super Bowls – well, actually, you can go, I'm going to go to all three Super Bowls, I guess, <laughs> for three of them. Um, Super Bowl 16, the goal line stand. I mean, just, oh, God. Makes me vomit every time I think about it. <laughs> and, it and it wasn't just because of the excellence of the 49ers' defense, and they, which they were very stout and very good. But, God dang it, we made it so easy on them by making mistakes, you know, on three out of the four snaps. And when you do that in, in that big a game, that big of a moment, you can't put yourself on your schedule. I mean, they're good enough to, to whip you, and they whipped us because they were good enough to do it, and we helped them. So that uh, ineptitude of not being able to score uh, at the start, you know, we cut, cut into a 20 point deficit at halftime by a touchdown. That would have made it 20 to 14 with oodles of time to go in the game would have been a different football game, um, but we didn't get it done. So that was still to this day, extremely painful. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Um, Super Bowl 23, man, Tim Cromerai shattering his leg. I mean, Stanley Wilson uh, lapsing into you know an, uh, a problem with his addiction issues. Um, Lewis Phillips dropping a sure interception. Pick any of those—all painful moments, you know. I mean, David Grant played played very good, a very fine football game, played very well, I should say. Um, but Tim Cromry was the glue, you know. He was he was such a such an integral part of the of the being of that football team, not just defense, but just the being of the Cincinnati Bengals in that in that Super Bowl season. To have him go down as early as he did. It was almost like the indestructible Ultimate Warrior went down. Oh my God, that's impossible. And they overcame it pretty well. Um, but that was a very painful moment. And then the painful moment of Super Bowl Twenty Three, Joe Burrow getting spun around and there's an opportunity. 56. Super Bowl 56. I'm sorry, 50, what did I say? 50? 23. Oh, Super Bowl Fifty Six, the most recent one. Um, Joe Burrow getting spun around by Aaron Donald and there were opportunities there. To extend a play and maybe win the game, um, and it's you know that that was very painful. It was one of six sacks that were allowed in the second half of that football game. Extremely painful. So uh, I guess uh, I guess those would be painful moments for me mm-hmm. in Bengals history that occurred in super big Ubra games for sure.
0: You got a fourth. Got those three Super Bowls.
3: Um, a fourth.
0: A fourth painful moment. Course, you had several from Super Bowl Twenty Three. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's a laundry
3: list, yeah. There's a laundry list of them. Um,
0: well, I'll hit you with mine. Okay. And then maybe you agree with one of these or it jogs your, you know, thought process for another one. So I had the goal line stand. That was number one on my yeah. list. I had from Super Bowl Twenty Three. I wrote down Montana to Taylor because that was the final yeah. nail in the coffin. That was John Taylor's only catch of that Super Bowl, the yep. game weather with 34 seconds to go. And, and
3: again, you know – It was a mistake in the secondary, and that's how a lot of big plays happen, you know, due to the other team making a mistake, and credit the team that wins by capitalizing on it, no question.
0: I wrote down the Jeremy Hill fumble in the infamous (laughs) – 2015 playoff meltdown at Paul Brown Stadium. AJ McGarren hits AJ Green for the touchdown pass with 150 to go. On the next play from scrimmage, perfect intercepts Landry Jones with 136 to go. The Bengals have a one point lead with the ball at the Pittsburgh 26. And on the very next play from scrimmage, Jeremy Hill gets stripped by Ryan Shazier. Ross Cockrell recovers. We know what happened after that. So those are three. And then my fourth painful. Mount Rushmore Bengals moment. Greg Cook's injury. Third yeah. game of his rookie year. Fifth pick in the draft. The Bengals are off to a 3-0 start. He tears his rotator cuff. Misses three games. The Bengals lose them all. He does come back. Wins offensive rookie of the year. Has a great year. And never significantly plays again. Because at that point, a rotator cuff injury wasn't easily repaired.
3: Exactly. And Buck Buchanan you know, fell on his arm as it was extended and ripped his, ripped his shoulder up. And uh, to this day... I remember talking to Paul Brown, um, God rest his soul, about the excellence of Greg Cook, and he he just couldn't say enough superlatives. And Mike Brown the same way. I mean, Greg Cook was a. I did uh, play a uh, in a couple of charity basketball games scenarios with Greg. He unbelievable athlete. I mean, just really gifted, really good basketball player. But I, I can imagine what he was like out in the football field as a uh, as a quarterback, and all of his teammates and coaches that were. We're part of that time, um, you know, that lightning bolt at time with Greg Cook. Say, man, just cursed. If he'd been able to uh, avoid injury and sustain it, who knows? Who knows?
0: All right, our Mount Rushmore of Bengals, good guys. (laughs) Fortunately, this is another category where we could pick dozens. Really? But we've got to have four heads on the mountain of Bengals, good guys. Yeah,
3: I mean, there's there's so many. Obviously, you know, in my mind, Anthony Munoz goes. Yeah, he goes. He goes to to leadership. He's he's carrying the banner, as uh, as you look at uh, look at the good guys on on the football team, you know, guys that that stood up, uh, you know, to <laughs> to the mass media in in the difficult times as well as the good times and and, and handled both. Uh, with ease, and and both with uh, with aplomb as such, Boomer Esaias and Chris Collinsworth, you know uh, those those kind of guys come to mind. The SWAT team, Fulcher, uh, Solly, E.T. Those guys were really good guys, you know, as well, and and had an influence on their, uh, you know, on their football teams in a in a very positive way. Like you said, I mean, you can you can name so so many. Giovanni Bernard, who you talked about um, with that run against the Miami Dolphins zigzagging all over the football field, just a, just an un- unbelievable human being. Um, <laughs> the, list, the list is so long, you feel like, I don't know if I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to leave anybody out because there are, there are a, a ton of guys that, I mean, you look at guys like uh, Bruce Kozurski, you know, a, a great guy and a stand-up guy i've i've been very fortunate to be around a lot of offensive linemen as a as a player a teammate and as a, from a broadcast position that's my go to group mm-hmm. you know when it's one that's uh dicey when, when it's a tough sledding as such i i go to get uh some lubricant cool. <laughs> to make that a little bit easier from the offensive line and they always they're always they'll always stand up to it and and uh, handle it in the right way. So there, there's uh, Kenny Anderson, you know, my roommate for so many years. Just, a, just a great guy. Just a you know, salt of the earth type guy. Um, great father, a great family man. You know, just a just a phenomenal human being. The list goes on and on. And and it, we're very fortunate, I think, uh, to be blessed that way. I I, I think that's part of. When the Bengals have had good teams, that has been part of the reason why the chemistry factor, and chemistry is easy to establish, easily established when you have good guys. Joe Burrow's a great guy, really good guy. Jamar Chase, great guy. Um, you know, Sam Hubbard. Uh, there's leaders. There's great guys and leaders on every phase of this current Cincinnati mm-hmm. Bengal football team, and that's where chemistry comes from. That's where culture comes from it starts with guys that are all in you know and all about each other it's 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 we us it's not I me and that's what you have to have and that's what it's all about
0: all right here are the four guys on my Bengals good guy Mount Rushmore Anthony Munoz mm-hmm. finest human being I've ever met yep. uh, the most impressive person in any walk of life I've ever met so he's an obvious guy uh, Boomer and not only a great player but really for his big heart think of what he's done with his foundation for cystic fibrosis they've raised more than 115 million dollars to extend lives just incredible uh i'm putting andy dalton on the list for uh the andy and jj foundation think of all they've done for sick children and their families those hubs and hospitals the date nights uh the christmas gifts all of that stuff and then i'm putting andrew whitworth on the list NFL man of the year last year uh, just phenomenal the years he was in Cincinnati on a personal note uh, my wife took me out for my birthday one year, we're at a fancy restaurant in Cincinnati. It's like a Tuesday night or something like that. While we're in the restaurant, Witt happened to be there. Came by with his wife, said hello, exchanged pleasantries. Didn't think much of it. Uh, at the end of the night, when we went to pay, he had picked up the, the tab. tab. Was picked up. Yeah, and uh, this was an expensive meal, so that was very kind of him. You know, I'm, I'm not putting him on the Mount Rushmore for that reason, uh, but what a good man he is.
3: Yeah, he is. I mean, um, and. Anthony Munoz and Andrew Worth have a very, very close relationship and tight bond, cut from the same cloth. You know, it's it's um, and it's it's about as uh, as good a piece of cloth as you can find. You know, there's there's no imperfections in that cloth, and they're both cut from it. Um, major, major impacts on their organizations. In what's case, two organizations and Anthony's. He was briefly in Tampa Bay, but obviously the, the biggest part of his Hall of Fame career was with the Cincinnati Bengals. And uh, ironic, two left tackles. You know, it's, uh, they, the Bengals had a nice run <laughs> for a lot of years by somebody that manned that left tackle position, the blind side of the right-hand quarterback that not only was made of the right stuff physically, uh, but mentally and spiritually and everything to be able to play at a high level for a very long time.
0: We move to our Mount Rushmore of Bengals nicknames. <laughs> Top four Bengals nicknames in franchise history. Okay, well, I'm going to go. My number
3: one um, <laughs> is Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, the law firm. I mean, it, it, when they <laughs> when they named Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, law firm, it was like it was so perfect. I'm like, yeah, that, that, that's classic. That really is. I mean, that's just. Uh, that's just a classic, classic nickname law firm. Um, I, I like positional nicknames more so than individual nicknames. The Web, Wilson, Whitley, Eddie Edwards, Ross Browner, Gary Burley, last names W E B B, the Web, uh, Super Bowl 16. It has you know the the double meanings and all that. Uh, those guys did a great job up front, and they formed a web that people had to deal with and and. Uh, couldn't couldn't quite solve. I, I like uh, I like SWAT team as well. You know I like uh, I liked that nickname for that that group of guys uh, for obvious reasons and, and and it caught on. I mean they, they literally were posterized <laughs> and, uh, and to this day uh, every every Bengal fan you know knows knows all about the SWAT team. Um, so I guess I guess those would be those would be the four. I guess I've used up my four there or is that only three? That's three. That's three. Yeah. Um another n- nickname. Um I guess I mean there's 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 plenty of uh pl- like Icky Woods. I mean that's 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 kind of a classic classic nickname. The Mexican Connection is another nickname for more than one guy, Munoz and Montoya. Uh but you know, Elbert Woods, I guess I'd probably go by Icky as well. <laughs> I think that's that's one of the classic nicknames probably in uh in franchise history.
0: All right. My Mount Rushmore Bengals nicknames, the Rattler. I thought that was great for Ken Riley because, you know, he got it from his alma mater, but it also was descriptive of his, you know, style of play, like a rattlesnake attacking and getting all those 65 interceptions. The throwing Samoan for Jack Thompson. It's a great nickname. Now he didn't do well in the NFL and people, you know, jokingly changed it to the overthrow Samoan, but it was still a great nickname. Ocho Cinco, for this reason, the fact that Chad would legally change his name in order to be able to put it on the back of his uniform, I thought was exactly only Chad, genius. I got to throw the red rifle on there because yeah, I came up with it. Yeah, that's but it's stuck. Yeah. For whatever reason, it's stuck. So those are my four Mount Rushmore uh, Bengal nicknames. Our Mount Rushmore of best Bengals draft picks. Now, this can take into account you know, where they were selected, the value. Uh, so top four, Mount Rushmore, Bengals draft picks for Dave Lappin.
3: Yeah, I'm going to go uh, into this for that reason, mm-hmm. um, that these these guys drafted, you know, where they were drafted, for them to pan out to the level that they panned out. Um, Bob Trumpy was being round. a 12th-round pick mm-hmm. in the 300s. You know, uh, <laughs> that's, that's pretty good value there. Multiple-time uh, pro bowler. Uh, Charles Booby Clark was drafted in, I think, the 17th round. Paul Brown, as only Paul Brown could, goes down to Bethune-Cookman. He sees this tight end named Charles Clark. That's another great nickname, though, mm. Booby. That's, <laughs> that's a nickname candidate right there. Um, Booby Clark, he says, this is my big back. This is my Marion Motley. This is my, you know, later on Pete Johnson type. Booby Clark was a talented guy, and uh, and they dra- they they got a, a lot of production, with a very late pick, in uh, in in Booby Clark. Tim Crumry, mm-hmm. the, the tenth pick of the draft. I think it's two hundred and seventy sixth pick. I think he was in the in the draft. Tim Crumry uh, to to play at the level that he played at, and I can tell you. My last year was his rookie year, and he was not happy about being a tenth round pick. And Dave Remington was the first round pick. And every time we did one on one nutcracker drill, he jumped in there no matter what they had arranged by script, Mm -hmm. because he wanted to go against that first round pick in the draft and try to you know show him that you guys, I belong. Well, he showed he belonged very very early and very very often. So I'd say uh, I'd say he's he's another one. of mine that you know that obviously it panned out and panned out very very well, and then I'm I'm just going to go with the uh, the three headed monster of three offensive linemen in the 1988 Super Bowl team, Max Montoya seventh round pick, Joe Walter seventh round pick, wow. Bruce Kazursky ninth round pick, mm-hmm. three starters. You know you got the Hall of Famer in the you know the early pick of his draft, Anthony Munoz. But three of the other four guys, you know, picked in the late 100s and into the 200s and and formed a, formed a pretty formidable group up front there in the offensive line. And that just speaks to the genius, I think, of Jim McNally as the offensive line coach.
0: All right. My Mount Rushmore of Bengals draft picks also includes Tim Crumry for the value, mm-hmm. number 276 overall, as you mentioned, arguably the best defensive player in franchise history. Similarly, I have Geno Atkins on my Mount Rushmore, fourth-round pick, number 120 overall, eight-time pro bowler, most of any Bengals defensive player, uh, all-decade team in the 2010s. So I've got Geno on there. I've got T.J. Hushmanzada on my uh, all-draft pick Mount Rushmore, seventh-round pick, number 204 overall, 25 wide receivers taken before him. Still holds the franchise record for most catches in a season. And then, this is not a a late pick, but I'm putting Anthony Munoz on the list, number three overall, only because so many teams took him off their board because of his injuries. Only played one game his senior year at USC. The Bengals watched him in the Rose Bowl. Mike Brown famously said said that uh, he and Paul laughed watching the game because they knew his knee was 100%. And they took the plunge at number three overall and wound up uh, with the best player in team history.
3: And I remember Forrest Gregg went out there to work him out. And uh, (laughs) Forrest Gregg lined up as a defensive end and a wide technique to pass rush. And Anthony moved out there effortlessly and fluidly and flawlessly and Put two hands into Forrest's chest and jammed him, and to the ground, Forrest <laughs> Greg went. And Anthony's like, Oh no, you know, he's like helping him up. And Forrest going, no, no, it's good. You're good. We're good. He came back. He said, We're drafting him. No ifs, ands, or buts. We're drafting this guy. So,
0: what a great move uh, by the Cincinnati Bengals to draft Anthony Munoz. All right, our next category the Mount Rushmore of assistant coaches in Bengals history. Well, we talked about Kenny Anderson
3: being the most important player in franchise history. The guy that tutored him, Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh was an unbelievable mind, football mind, and an unbelievable football coach. Um, and obviously <laughs> he went on to great success after after leaving the Cincinnati Bengals, but Paul Brown knew what he was doing there. Uh, Bill Walsh was on that original staff and, and just – just a dynamic football coach. And I remember Kenny talking about how Bill Walsh got him ready to play at the National Football League level, um, you know, over and over and over again, the repetition. It started with your feet, and Kenny said they did footwork for like twice a day for a week before they even put a football in his hand. And then they started, you know, working through the other body mechanics and then ultimately throwing the football, and it was a month before he threw the football. So he, he basically took them apart and put them back together again. Um, the, the player from Tiny August Stanley was drafted in the third round, and that's a spectacular draft pick as well, as it turned out, to take Kenny Anderson in the 60s uh, in, the, in the third round, 64th or whatever it was, I think, in that, uh, in that particular draft, and then have Bill Walsh to tutor him and to guide him and to mold him into the player that he became. And Kenny will talk freely about it. I mean, a lot of it's right place, right time, luck. Bill Walsh, how can you ask for anything better than Paul Brown and Bill Walsh as you're a young player coming into the league? I feel the same way about another assistant coach, my first offensive line coach, Bill Tiger-Johnson. Paul Brown's the head coach. Bill Tiger-Johnson's uh, Tiger my offensive line coach. Man, just an unbelievable teacher of the game of football. Great player himself, Pro Bowl player uh, with the 49ers at center snapping the ball to Y.A. Tittle. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to listen to what this guy says. And he, he was great, just a great, an unbelievable coach to have for your first uh, to experience in the National Football League, to have a, a teacher like that. Um, and then another line coach is a great assistant in my mind, Jim McNally. Uh, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy was – he still is. He, he's a guy that's just a you know, walking encyclopedia technique, and he's always trying to refine – and uh and, and to improve and and uh and, and rebuild. And then on the defensive side, Dick LeBeau. Mm-hmm. He's you know he, the zone blitz he was doing here at the Cincinnati Bengals with David Fulcher before Troy Palomalo and the in the Pittsburgh Steelers, he was doing a lot of the same things and, and getting the same type of results. Dick Lebeau was a phenomenal, you know, defensive back in his day. Hall of Famer in two categories, player and coach, you know, um, and just as good a defensive coordinator. He was probably the premier guy of his time. Um, Hank Bulla, the doctor of defense that we had in Super Bowl Sixteen, another unbelievable football mind. He was doing blitzes and doing things defensively that were ahead of his time, you know. Um, so uh, offensively and defensively, there have been – some outstanding uh, outstanding coaches, there's no question. I'll throw Darren Simmons mm-hmm. in there. As far as special teams coaches, he's as good as I've seen, and he's been doing it here for a long time. And Mike Brown is a football man, and Mike Brown realizes that he's got something unique and significant in Darren Simmons, and he's kept him yep. and made sure that he's kept him. And that, that phase, that third phase, is always taken care of, and take care of it at a very, very high level, as high a level as you can get with Darren Simmons. Again, another unbelievable teacher. And that's that's what a football coach is. They'll tell you, you know, I look at myself as a teacher. And these guys are all great teachers.
0: All right, you've got my Mount Rushmore of assistant coaches covered. I've got Bill Walsh, Dick LeBeau, Jim McNally, and also Darren Simmons. I agree with Darren, 19th year with the team, certainly one of the best special teams coordinators in the NFL. I will give you my honorable mentions, Mike Zimmer. Yep. Frank Gans, who is a yep. you know special teams, special teams uh, trendsetter, certainly helped establish the importance of that uh, coaching position on the staff. Jim Anderson, tremendous running backs coach for three decades. And I'm throwing Hugh Jackson in there. It obviously did not work out as an NFL head coach, but he was a great assistant coach, no matter where Marvin Lewis put him.
3: And same thing with Dick LeBeau. You know, it didn't work out as a head coach, but does not diminish, you know, uh, the achievements and accolades that should be given to those achievements as an unbelievable assistant coach. No question about it.
0: We move to the Mount Rushmore of Bengals' villains. <laughs> These are opponents that either starred against the Bengals or got under our skin or got under Bengals' fans' skin. The Mount Rushmore of Bengals' villains. Yeah, I
3: mean, um, in, in my mind, I'm going to go back to playing days. I mean, Pittsburgh Steelers, you know. I, the, the Steel Curtain. I mean, that defense, uh, Joe Green... Ernie Holmes, Dwight White, Elsie Greenwood wasn't quite like those guys from a personality standpoint but he, you know, he kind of followed the pack. But they just soon spit on you, just look at you and literally they would spit on you and kick you in the uh, in, in the <laughs> below the waist regions. I mean literally that, that that occurred all of it. I mean that 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 football team and then you know in, in the next level, you had Jack Lambert, Toothless Jack back there who uh, would just, he would, a lot of spittle would come between those teeth that would be taken out to play the game. He was, he was, uh, he was something else. Uh, they had, they had big time intimidating type players, Mel Blunt on the back end, Donny Shell at safety. I mean, that was basically uh, a defense full of guys that would, would uh, bend the rules as far as they could be bent. Hmm. But they were great players too. I mean, just phenomenal, phenomenal uh, athletes. They were so well put together. George Perlis, their defensive coach, that put it together, came up with uh, you know adjustments and and schematic you know techniques that were just you know just outstanding, just phenomenal. Um, and then I'd, I'd have to go with the Cleveland Browns. You know, I'm stuck in my playing days again. Uh, Battle of Ohio. Um, you know Joe Turkey Jones, who bunked Terry Bradshaw on his on his head. Uh, you know that they, they, they were they were something to, to deal with uh, as a defensive football team as well. Um, they, Jerry Shirk was a was a great player at the defensive uh, defensive tackle position, and Walter Johnson, the guy I played against, was Man Mountain Dean. I mean, he was a heavyweight wrestling champion, and he just he, he was a powerful powerful uh, man. They they were really good up front. They had excellent linebacker core. Clay Matthews Sr. was playing at that particular time. Dick Ambrose was at the middle linebacker position. They, they had Tom Darden and guys like that on the back end that would stone you. They, they'd definitely hit you. I'd say, you know, that, uh, that, the Cleveland Browns, um, the Raiders, in my era with John Matuzak and Otis Sistrunk and, you know, from the University of Mars and, um, and Al Davis famously said, "Look, um, <laughs> take it to the limit every single snap. Play in the gray area. Take it as far in the gray area as you possibly can. And if, you, if, if the penalties start to be a problem, we'll, we'll adjust to it. And I'll pay the fines." So that that was open season for the for the Raiders to be the Raiders, and they were they were a defensive team that would would definitely. Would definitely try to dominate you and, uh, uh, and, and back it up. Jack Tatum, when Jack Tatum hit you as a safety, felt like a two hundred and fifty-pound linebacker was putting the hammer down on you. He was, a, you know, he was a son of a gun, boy. He could play. <laughs> There's no question about it. Those are some of the teams and guys that you know that that, that come to my mind. Those three, um, you know, obviously the. Cleveland moved to Baltimore and the Baltimore Ravens, think of all the all the punishing players that Baltimore Raven uh, defensive football teams have had, you know, from it starts with the goose up front, Tony Siragusa, Ray Lewis at the linebacker position, all the great linebackers they've had, they had tremendous players in the back end, I mean uh, that, that's, that's franchise, Baltimore has a history of, of uh, mean-minded defensive football players, there's no doubt about it.
0: All right, this is good because your Mount Rushmore has four teams featuring guys that often went beyond the, uh, the line of what you're supposed to do. I picked out four individuals okay. that stand out as my villains, my uh, hated opponents. Big Ben Roethlisberger dominated the Bengals for 18 years, 26-10 and 10 against Cincinnati, including two playoff wins at Paul Brown Stadium, 15-4 and four at Paul Brown Stadium, Despite the fact that uh, the Bengals beat him his last three times, so he was twenty six and seven mm-hmm. before losing his last three head-to-head games against Cincinnati. I've got Kimo von Olhoffen. <laughs> I don't think it was a cheap shot to Carson Palmer. I think he just got you know rolled into his lower leg, unfortunately. But uh, that injury changed the trajectory of the franchise. As Paul Doherty from the Enquirer often refers to him, "Chemo Von Axe murderer, uh, just because of the the result of that hit. I've got another stealer, Joey Porter. Came on onto the field in the 2015 playoff game. That led to the Adam Jones penalty and the Joey Porter rule, where assistant coaches can no longer come onto the field uh, when players are injured. He also jumped Levi Jones at a casino in Las Vegas before that. So I've got him on the list. And then I've got a guy that I, I like, personally, but I put him on Mount Rushmore just because of uh, what his success meant to Bengals history, and that's Joe Montana. Won the two yeah. Super Bowls, 6-0 and oh, in the six games he started against Cincinnati, so uh, those four guys make up my Mount Rushmore of villain-slash-hated opponents. Next Mount Rushmore category, interview subjects. These are guys that we've enjoyed interviewing or think were great interviews over the years. Who comes to mind for you?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think Andrew Whitworth, you know, is a guy that uh, is is very, very high on that list for all the reasons we've already talked about. Um, You know, not only his football acumen and his his football uh, understanding of the game and opponents and all that sort of things, the X's and O's, but everything else in life. You know, he's one of those guys that just has... um, a, a lot to say and says it extremely well, uh, you know. I think uh, probably Boomer Esiason is as good an interview as a player as you could possibly hope to have, and and that led to uh, a career in the broadcast world that's been dynamic to say the least. Uh, you could always count of Boomer Esiason never shirked his responsibility, uh, and I think that's what made him a great leader as well. It's like eh, you know, boy. That game didn't go well, and I didn't play well. But I'm not going to duck the media. I'm going to get up and, and face the music, and I'm going to answer questions on. And he, and he always did. And I think he he garnered a tremendous amount of respect for, from everybody, not just his teammates, but the media, uh, the city, the region, every everybody. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think that's I think that's big. Chris Collinsworth, same way. I mean, you know, obviously. Great stories, funny guy, um, and another one who understood uh, the role the media uh, had in the success and popularity of the National Football League as a player. Understood the significance of 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 uh, adding to instead of you know subtracting from or minimizing coverage. Always added to coverage. Always gave something more. To the media, than the than the, the average player would, you know, would, would go a little bit deeper. So, and again, that led to a phenomenal career in the broadcast world as well. So, I think I think uh, th- those three guys are, you know, probably my 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 first three. Um, a fourth, boy. I'd probably, probably have to go with a, a defensive player because everybody – I think I just had offensive players mm-hmm. at this point, huh? A defensive uh, player <sighs> from, a, from a media standpoint. I'd have to say Solomon Wilcots for the same reason. I mean, mm-hmm. Solly, you go to Solly after a game, and he could tell you the whys and wherefores of everything, why things worked, why they didn't, adjustments that were made, adjustments that should have been made. Um, same plays that were made plays that shouldn't, have been, that shouldn't have been made so Solomon Wilcott's keen understanding of the game of football but not just again not just X's and O's but applying it to alright I understand that the, the game of football and, that, and the National Football League is extremely popular for a reason and so he, he added to that and he still does to this day so he understood that dynamic as a player and he understands that dynamic as a, you know, in the broadcast world as well. And it is quite remarkable how many guys have gone from player to broadcast uh, in the, from the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm-hmm. It really is. And Bob Trumpy, you know, was, was the original and another great example of a, a guy that's, a, I mean, Trump was, the media battled to get in front of his locker, you know, after a game back in the day, because Trump was Trump. Mm -hmm. He pulled no punches, no holds barred, man. He put it out there, and it led to uh, sports talk, the godfather of sports talk here in the city of Cincinnati into a Hall of Fame broadcast career covering the National Football League.
0: And of that list that you just gave with Boomer, Collinsworth, Wilcox, and Andrew Whitworth, if Whit wants to get into broadcasting, he'll be a superstar too. Uh, My interview list includes two of the four that you mentioned. I've got Whit on the list, articulate, thoughtful, he always – taught you something. I mean, he's one of those guys, you talk to him for five minutes, and at the end of it, you're like, huh, I didn't realize that. That's great. I've got Chris Collinsworth on there. Again, smart, colorful, honest, uh, just great as a player and and great now. I've got Frank Pollock on my list. I really enjoy his news conferences. They're colorful. They're interesting. Uh, I've enjoyed the one-on-one conversations that I've had with him. I did that Fun Facts last year where we I just gave him, like, former teammates that he played great. with, and he had a great story about everybody. Very candid. Really good. And then my fourth, which might surprise some people, is Adam Jones. Yeah. Because totally unfiltered, impossible of BS, sometimes got himself into trouble right. with some of the things he said, but uh, I've always said that I thought that Andrew, uh, Adam Jones rather, uh, was a tremendous interview subject. Final Mount Rushmore category. Our Mount Rushmore of what-ifs. In Bengals history, you're nodding your head. <laughs> These are good, probably going to be some wistful yeah. moments of things that had they gone slightly differently, uh, Bengals history would have changed for the better.
3: Well, I guess you know I'm gonna reverse a lot of the uh, the painful moments, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, what if what if uh, what if one mental error didn't occur in the four play sequence of the goal line stand in Super Bowl sixteen up in Pontiac, Michigan? Um, and and the Bengals had scored a touchdown what if I mean would that football game have ultimately changed would the outcome have been different don't know but would have had a hell of a lot better chance there's no question about it what if Lewis Phillips had squeezed the interception in Super Bowl 23 I mean i I think it's game over you know at that point if he holds on to that football God rest his soul he, he he didn't um you know that I think that uh you know that that might have had a different outcome if Tim Cromery doesn't shatter his leg, you know, in that football game, might have had a different outcome. Um, what if the Bengals' offensive line were, were capable of providing better protection for Joe Burrow in Super Bowl 56, particularly in the second half of that football game, um, that 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 last game, it, 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 uh, that last play, it's just mind-boggling to me when I look back on it because they had the perfect call, the slide protection. Double-team Aaron Donald was handled improperly from a technique standpoint, allowed him to win outside, and, uh, and he affected the game. And he, hit, he affected the second half of that football game way, way too much. There's, there's, uh, there's no question about it. So I'd say that, uh, you know, reversing, <laughs> reversing some of the, uh, the order of, of uh, the Super Bowl outcomes, um I, I think I think would be a would be a good starting point.
0: All right. My Bengals Mount Rushmore of what ifs. I'll go back to something that I covered earlier. What if Greg Cook didn't get hurt yep. or if rotator cuffs were repaired then like they are now, you would probably have a couple of Super Bowl rings.
3: And what what where would Kenny Anderson have been? Mm. Where where would his NFL career have been if, if Greg Cook had not been injured? There would have been no Ken Anderson here in Cincinnati. So Mm -hmm. that would have been a huge what if because it would have changed the history of the franchise dramatically, you know, from a player perspective, Mm -hmm. a player standpoint.
0: Uh, I also have what if Jeremy Hill didn't fumble. Yep. Marvin Lewis doesn't have that stigma of no playoff wins. He would have had his first. Could the Bengals have gone to New England the next week with AJ McCarron at quarterback and defeated the Patriots? Probably not. It probably just would have been one playoff win, but still, it'd be nice for Marvin to have one.
3: Yeah, it would. It would. It would have. You know, gotten that. that that's not a monkey. That's a 500-pound gorilla. You know, on the back, and with Bill Belichick coaching, um, AJ McCarron would have been challenged. There's no question about it. The entire football team offense would have been challenged bill belichick's as good as there is when you get to the playoffs and changing game plans and adjustments and he's the wizard no doubt
0: here's one that you can speak to what if paul brown did not retire in 1975 Bengals were 11 and three you were on the team his final year that's the best winning percentage they've ever had in a season. He was 67 years old so he was getting up there but Bill Belichick is 69 right now Pete Carroll is 70 uh, guys are doing it nowadays at that age what would have happened if Paul decided to stick it out for a few more years
3: yeah I mean I, that's that's a really good what if because back then coaches didn't coach you know into their 70s and, and you know Paul, um, I, I think Paul was a believer in you get to a certain age it's time to move on a player gets to a certain stage of his career it's time to think about that player you know moving on or retiring or trading him or whatever um, it wasn't that he was incapable he was still sharp as attack mentally I mean he, nothing had slipped in, in that regard and uh, and I, I was pretty surprised because we were, we were pretty good you know 11-3 and record and two of the losses to the eventual Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers, both of them within range. I mean, we, within a touchdown each time, one score games. It's not like we were being manhandled um, and lost to the Raiders, I think it was that year as well, who were a pretty good football team. So yeah, that's a, that's a great what if. There's, there's no doubt about it. I think part of it too was Bill Johnson had already turned down coach, head coaching opportunities. Uh, I know to the 49ers for one opportunity that came up as the great former All-Pro center there. Uh, they wanted him to come back and be the head coach. He'd proven himself as an assistant, and he, hmm. he said, you "No, know, Paul's told me I'm the guy." When he steps down, I like the potential opportunity here. So, yeah, because I mean, the following year we went 10 and 4. Still had a really good football team, 10 and 4, and didn't make the playoffs. 10 and 4 record. The uh, the Oilers, um, you know, got the additional wild card spot. Steelers won the division. Oilers got the wild card with a 10 and 4 mark. We sat
0: mm, brutal. All right, my final, my fourth and final what if on my uh, Mount Rushmore of what ifs. What if in the 1999 draft, Browns select Tim Couch number one, Eagles take Donovan McNabb number two. Now the Bengals are on the clock. Mike Ditka calls from the Saints offers all of their 1999 draft picks, six picks, including number 12 overall, plus their first-round pick in 2000 and their third-round pick in 2000. So that's eight draft picks for the number three overall spot. The Bengals say thanks but no thanks and take Akili Smith instead. Now, the Redskins eventually took the Saints' offer, and they didn't become a powerhouse as a result. So you still got to nail the draft picks. But Akili Smith was, uh, you know— such a disaster unfortunately that you can't help but wonder what would have happened if the Bengals had taken that offer from the Saints. Absolutely
3: and uh, <laughs> I, Bruce, Bruce Costlett, I, I wonder what Bruce Costlett's thinking these days uh, if they he was the head coach at the time and uh, you know I, I, I know that he would have made the trade. <laughs> there's no question about it he would have made that trade you definitely it's it's a quarterback driven league even more so now than then but it was then as well um, but man that's a lot of capital that's a ton of capital at some point in time the 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 odds dictate that you're you're gonna you're gonna find a quarterback or enough people around a quarterback that is capable to make me even play at a higher level i mean that's one that if history, if you could go back in history and change it, I think you might want to think about that possibility.
0: <laughs> I'm going to give you an unbelievable nugget that occurred to me as I was coming up with my what ifs in Bengals history. That draft was one draft before the Patriots selected Tom Brady. Wow! Akili Smith is only two years older than Tom Brady.
3: How about that? That is that crazy. Is,
0: that is crazy. That is crazy. The, the, the,
3: uh, the one thing, that every time I start thinking about drafts, the 1974 Pittsburgh Steelers drafts. Five Hall of Famers, and one of them wasn't even drafted. Donnie Shell, 17 rounds in the draft in 1974. Donnie Sheldon didn't even get drafted in 17 rounds. Signs as a college free agent and goes to the Hall of Fame. But they drafted Lynn Swan in the first round, Jack uh, uh Lambert. Jack Lambert, Lambert in the second round. Um, let's see. Mike Webster was drafted in the, in the fifth round. I think Stallworth was drafted in the fourth, I believe. So four Hall of Famers in the first five rounds of the draft. Talk about putting the bat in the ball in a draft. Are you kidding me? And then to get uh, all-time great safety in the history of the National Football League as a college free agent out of South Carolina State.
0: Crazy, you know. Cincinnati is the city of seven hills. We got a lot of room for these Mount Rushmores. We can <laughs> we can carve them <laughs> into hillsides in the Cincinnati area. This will be good. <laughs> yeah, really. There's
3: a there's a lot of a lot of hills, a lot of hills that could uh, could support Mount Rushmores. Absolutely, yeah. And it, it would <laughs> it would keep a lot of uh, sculptors busy for a while.
0: That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals booth podcast presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free to play next level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the app store and Google play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment that helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.